I'm not there. I am. Hey, good morning. We need everybody to stand up and worship with us today. If he's made you new, stand up. stay standing. Isn't it good to gather here today and celebrate the new life that we have in Christ? It is awesome. And what I love, not just that, but day by day, 
we continue to grow and he continues to walk with us and he continues to guide us every single day. I'm so thankful for those new mercies day by day. It's fantastic. And to celebrate with you this morning, it's fantastic. So we're so glad that you are here. Uh, if you're a guest, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And those online, thank you for tuning in. It's, a, it's an exciting day to be in God's house together. And I'm going to ask his, uh, ask for prayer this morning and for him to bless our services. So, so let's pray. Lord, I love you. Again, thank you so much for bringing us together again today as a church family, God. We love you and we love this place. Thank you so much for bringing us back here so we can worship and lift up your name. We're so thankful for all that you've done for us. Lord, you're only going to continue to do more. And as the word is preached, uh, as Brother Will gives the message, God, open our hearts. As we continue to worship, help us to lift up your name in praise and help us to be encouraged and walk away an even better person in you. We love you in your name. Amen. Let's continue to worship.
know that God knows who we are and that his presence is always with us. You know, I guess if you are uh, running from God, that would be a scary thought to know that he is everywhere present at the same time. But for a believer, that gives us comfort and that gives us peace to know that God is with us. You know, uh, King David faced attacks on all sides and he always knew that God was with him, no matter what his situation. And he confessed in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 5, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. We just have that assurance as believers that his presence is always with us.
we find ourselves and in our walk, Lord, you are present. And as a believer, we praise you for that comfort and for that peace that that brings. Pray that we could walk worthy of the calling that we have. We bear your name, Father, and I pray that each and every day that we'd be a light in a dark world. Let your presence be passed on to other people. We praise you. You are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. What I love about this church is everything. I feel like you can walk in and be yourself. I feel like they have a place for everyone. Always felt the spirit of God with us, Brother Will, his preaching and the worship music. Everyone has always been so friendly to us. I love it for our kids because some of their best friends, really their best friends, are from this church. Many of the major events, I guess, in my life have happened here. I mean, I was saved here, baptized here, met my husband here, <laughs> got engaged here, got married here. I guess the most recent was dedicating our daughter back to the Lord here. So this is everything to me. All the milestones. You know, we first started attending here. We, we have a daughter that struggles with addiction. And when we first came, she got really very sick. And um, the church was very helpful. Um, there were so many that came to visit us in the hospital. They brought cards, notes, visits. Uh, many of them sat with us and through the prayers and support of this church and other people that were praying and family members, she come out of that. And thankfully here we are six years later and she's attending with us. And so um, God knows what we need. And he knew uh, before any of that happened with her that we would need Kavanaugh. Um, I didn't know heartache until about seven years ago. Uh, my mom died and I didn't know how I was gonna move on. I didn't know how to move on. Um, but luckily I never had to feel alone. I never had to feel isolated. This church came around my family and myself and just showed the love of Christ and showed that peace that passes are all understanding through the people in this church. And that will mean everything to me forever. And that's why this is my church for life. Sunday morning came, we got up. My wife said, I don't want to go to church. Do you? And I said, nope. She said, well, let's stay home then. I said, well, you can stay home, but I told y'all I'd be there, so I don't have a choice. I got to go. She said, well, if you're going, I'm going. So we got dressed, came to church, and the church service opened with prayer, and then they sang some songs of praise. And the preacher got up behind the pulpit and he opened his Bible. My ears was filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ. My heart filled with the calling of the Holy Spirit. My soul overcome with the love of Almighty God. And when the invitation was given, my wife and I joined hands, came to the altar, and I met my Jesus. That's how I came to be in this church.
Here at Cavanaugh, we have an issue with the parking. And uh, I've actually talked to people that said, hey, I come to visit your church this week, but there was no parking spot. And that's the last thing you ever want to hear from someone coming to visit your church. When you have a special event or service, uh, it packed out. The church is packed out and, and there's not enough seating. Uh, we had to bring in chairs and put in the rows. And even right now, currently at our church here at Kavanaugh, uh, as big as it is in here, when we have special events, it's packed out. But I, I'd like to think that there's going to be plenty of room in this new sanctuary. They're going to drive by and we're going to have a lot more parking. They're going to see this new beautiful building and maybe be more inclined to stop by and just and just check it out and see what it's like. But, but also we're, we're building a, a more secure place for our children. And, uh, and, and if, if you can take care of the children, uh, the parents appreciate that a lot. We're going to have a huge welcome area where people can meet and greet and there won't be uh, crowded spaces, everyone can participate. And then probably the most important thing of all will be our security team that we have now that is so good and things are taken care of so well, but we're gonna have increased security one way in, one way out for our kids. And that means that we have to pray. That means that we have to be willing to go above and beyond, to dig a little deeper, maybe try a little harder. And we would encourage everyone to realize what we're trying to accomplish, who we're trying to reach, and to be in constant prayer. And to ask yourself, what else can you do? If you ever start trusting the Lord to really meet all your financial needs, you can't ever go back. You're never the same. He goes above and beyond and truly does bless you more than you could ever imagine. I think there's several ways anybody singly or as a couple or as a family can give above and beyond. Uh, and that can come in the form of prayer, it can come in the form of service, it can come in the form of worship, it can come in the form of uh, being a servant to your fellow church members, uh, working out in the community, being a part of all of the extra things that our church does. Like I said, there's multiple ways on many levels that you can be that person to go above and beyond uh, to make sure this campaign is successful. And as shepherds, we need to go out and find the lost sheep and bring them into the fold. And that's how we built the church and filled these buildings that we built. And it's not gonna be any different with the third building. We'll do that and we'll bring them in one soul at a time and we'll build the church to fill that building. I don't think it'll be that difficult. We got some dedicated brothers and sisters for Christ Jesus and I think they're gonna step forward and do everything that's needed to be done. And I think they're gonna to commit to prayer and they're gonna to commit to fasting and whatever it takes to, to reach out and get that building filled up, they're gonna do it. I have all the confidence in the world. Um, it's our turn. I mean, we really all need to take that to heart. There have been so many people before us that made the church how it is now. Now it's our turn. 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 Amen. That's the first time many of you have seen that video. We made it over a year ago. And because of the pandemic, we haven't played it until now. I've watched it a dozen times, and every time I watch it, uh, I get teary-eyed. Uh, Brother Charlie just keeps living, doesn't he? 
Thank, thank Brother Charlie for that message that he gave us. And you know what? It is our turn. It's our turn to do something big for the kingdom of God. And today, we're going to talk about your attitude, and it's our turn. Uh, got good news and bad news for you today. I've said this before. Good news is uh, we have all the money and all the resources to pay for this new building over here. Bad news is it's still in your pocket, all right? And, and let's talk about our attitude towards that right now. Uh, I'm reminded of this uh, rich man who, who was really quite distressed over the prospect of going into eternity and leaving all of his riches and money behind. So he came up with this plan. He opened his own private vault and took out two solid gold bars, placed those in a briefcase, and gave his family these instructions. When he died, that briefcase, which was locked, was to be handcuffed to his wrist, and the key of it to it was to be placed in the casket. Well, his family carried out those uh, requests to the letter. Uh, he died. He was buried with the briefcase clasped to his wrist and two gold bars in the briefcase. When he reached heaven, St. Peter met him and said, Oh, interesting, you have a, a briefcase with you. What, what's in the briefcase? And very proudly, the man took the key, he opened the briefcase, and showed St. Peter these two gold bars, to which St. Peter said, Isn't that special? You brought pavement. <laughs> okay, come on. It, it, it really is funny once you think about it, isn't it? You brought pavement. Well, it was funnier in my office when I wrote it. That, Come on, just laugh anyway, would you? Come on. Give me a fake laugh. Okay, that's good. It, this, this, this thing has gone downhill real quick, hasn't it? Uh, let me make this really important statement to you. It's not the duration of your life that matters. It is the donation to life that you make that really, really matters. If you were to die today, what donation to this life and this world would you have made? Have you simply been a consumer or have you been a contributor? I've known people who have lived many years and they've died in their old age, but basically when they died, all you could say about them is that they consumed, they took, they never gave. On the other hand, I've known young people who have passed away. They've died in their 20s or their 30s, but you know what? They were givers. They were contributors. They were eternal investors. They took Jesus at his word when Jesus said, you need to make investments on heaven's side of things. For you see, giving has very little to do with your assets, and it has everything to do with your attitude. And that's what we're going to talk about today, your attitude. Think of a person right now that you greatly admire, respect, and love. And then let me ask you, what is it about that person that makes you appreciate them so much? I asked my wife that question this morning, and, uh, and she answered. That when I asked her, what is, it that you, what is it that draws you to that person? And she said, their unconditional love. She told me the person, she said it was their unconditional love. And, and I guarantee you, if you and I had that conversation, it would be something along those same lines. It would be an attitude. It would have absolutely nothing to do with that person's ability or their talent or their good looks. Because that's not what really draws you to that person. It's their attitude that does. Their attitude about life. 
Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to speak to you about managing God's resources. And let me tell you, the thing that makes you attractive to God is not your abilities. It's not your talents. It's not your skills. It's not even your good looks. It's not that you have them, but it's your attitude towards those things that makes you attractive to Almighty God. Let me tell you what stewardship is in a nutshell. Stewardship is utilizing God-given abilities to manage God-given resources to accomplish God-ordained results. And you can give without loving, but there is no way you can love God and love people and not be a giver. Why? Because that's what our God is. Our God is a giving God. Now, I've got a great passage of Scripture I want to read to you today from Luke chapter 10. And I want you to notice within this story three different attitudes. And we'll talk about the three attitudes when we come to them. Here's Luke chapter 10. Behold a certain what? Lawyer. It's not like lawyers we think of today. Uh, These were lawyers of the law of God. These are people who studied the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, and they were authorities on the Word of God. They called them the, the, the lawyers of the Word of God. So this certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus and said to him, Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Pretty good question. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I really think this guy thought he already had it because he was a student of the Word of God and he was pious and righteous. So he wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And so Jesus said to him, well, what's written in the law? I mean, you know the law. You're a lawyer. You've studied the law. What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, okay, this is what the lawyer said according to his studies. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. So that's his interpretation of it. Love God with everything you have, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then you love your neighbor just like you love yourself. And Jesus said back to him, oh, you have answered wisely. Good answer. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, not leaving well enough alone, probed a little further and said to Jesus, and just who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered him and said this, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, very difficult trail. It's about 17 miles amongst mountains and rocks. And a lot of times robbers would hide out up there. And so this man is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Sure enough, he fell among some thieves. They stripped him of his clothing. They wounded him. They departed him and they left him what? He was half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road. And when this priest saw him, he just passed by on the other side. <clears throat> on the other side. Let me say this. This is the only time in the Word of God Jesus ever said anything negative about a priest. And notice it's in this context. Priest passed by on the other side, didn't do anything. Likewise, a Levite. Now, who who are Levites? Levites were people who took care of the house of God. Okay, They took care of the things of God. When he arrived at the place, he came and looked. He didn't get too close. He looked, and then he passed by on the other side as well. But a certain Samaritan, 
I'm going to come back and talk about this in a minute. The Jews hated Samaritans. They hated them. You say, it's not nice to hate people. No, it's not, but the Jews hated Samaritans. A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where this man was. When he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, set this guy on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, two pence. One denarii equals a day's wage for a working man. So he gave him two days' worth of wages to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of this guy, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll pay you back. So, Jesus said, Which of these three do you think was neighbor to the one who fell among thieves? And the lawyer said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, okay, four of you have read that. Everybody, read it with me. What did he say? Remember that because that's where we're going to end today. Heavenly Father, I love you so much. Thank you, dear Lord, for this church and these people. I pray that you'd speak to us today about our attitudes. May we have the same attitude or mind of Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. So let, let me dive into this and share with you these three attitudes. Two of them are attitudes you don't want to have. The third one is the attitude that you want to achieve today. The first attitude says, I'm going to take it. In other words, it's saying, whatever is yours needs to be mine, and I'm going to take it. Who had this attitude? Verse 30 tells us who had the attitude. Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, beat him almost to death, and departed, leaving him half dead. So this first attitude is that of the robber or the thief. And can I tell you, look at me, you don't want that attitude, okay? You don't need to be harboring that attitude, and so much so. It's an attitude of greed, it's an attitude of sinful flesh. I see what you have, and I want what you have, so I'm just going to take it from you. Y'all like Aesop's fables? Aesop's fables is a story about this dog who was just traveling down the street, and he stopped at a butcher store because he smelled the meat, and he saw a piece of meat laying on the counter, so he reached up there and grabbed it and took off running. He had a secluded place. He was going to go eat this piece of meat, but he had to cross a stream. And so when the dog got to the stream with the piece of meat in his mouth, he looked down and he saw a dog with meat in its mouth, which was his own reflection. And in his greed, he opened his mouth to get that piece of meat out of the other dog's mouth. And what happened? Well, he lost everything he had. You know what that is? That is greed, my friend. Greed says you've never got enough and you always want more. Can we do a timeout? Let me gather you back in because I lost you on that Aesop's fable right there. You're, you're still there. Let me, let me bring you back in. What I want to do right now is lay down a principle of stewardship. And here's the key principle in stewardship. Listen to me. God owns everything. Everything is God's. You might say, well, what about my stuff? I've worked hard for my stuff. You know what? You were naked when you came into this world. You're going to be naked when you leave this world. You're not going to take any of it with you. It's not yours. It's God's. It's all God's. 
God is the owner. And as believers, as Christians, we realize that God allows us to take care of his stuff. That's called stewardship. We get to manage God's stuff for him. Now, I've got a couple of columns here to explain this to you. The left column says, if I am the manager, that's understanding stewardship. God owns it. He lets me manage it. The other column is if you don't get this concept of stewardship and you think you're the owner. Let's look at the characteristics of each one. If I am the manager, then you know what? I am thankful for everything God lets me take care of. When I pull up into my driveway, and I do this every day, and I look at that house on 905 Cary Lane, I say, thank you, Lord, for letting me live in your house. <laughs> thank you for letting me have this house to live in. When I get in that black GMC pickup, I say, Lord, thank you for letting me drive this nice truck. Everything I have. Yesterday, I went and shot my cowboy guns, and I said on the way to the range, Lord, thank you for giving me these guns. Man, they're pretty. Just help me shoot them a little faster, huh? You're thankful for everything because it's not yours, it's God's. He's letting you take care of it for him, Gail. Isn't that great? Now, if you think you're the owner, you don't have that thankful spirit at all. You don't have a thankful attitude. What is your attitude? It's one of pride. You're thinking, man, look what I've done. Look what I've acquired. Look what I have. It's pride. Augustine, the early church father, said pride is the root sin. And by that he meant it is the root from which every other sin grows in your life. It was the first sin ever. The devil was full of pride. He was an archangel in heaven. He got full of pride. He wanted the throne of God. That's how far back pride goes. And God knows that our hearts can get filled with pride. He knew that for the children of Israel. They had just left Egyptian captivity. They were about to go into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he warned them, you are about to go into a land that I'm giving to you. You're not even really going to have to work for it. I'm going to give it to you. You're going to inherit farms and ranches that you didn't have to develop. You're going to be given cattle and goats and sheep you didn't have to work for. You're about to receive all kinds of wealth given to you by me. You didn't have to do anything for it. But he said, beware, because over a process of time, your hearts are going to be proud. And in verse 17 of Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says, here's what you're going to say. You're going to say, by my power and by the wealth of my own hands and the work of my own hands, I have obtained these things. God said, beware, beware of pride, because you know what? You know what comes after pride? A big old fall. And if you think you're the owner of everything, you're going to be full of pride. If I am the manager, number two, I realize that, you know, all this is God's stuff. It's the master's kingdom. If I think I'm the owner of it, I look at it as my kingdom. All of this is mine. It's my stuff. Don't mess with my stuff. We're going to talk about that next week. If I am the manager, then number three, I see this as transient. Again, I understand the concept. I brought nothing into this world, and I'm going to take nothing out of this world. This is not my stuff. I'm going to leave it for somebody else. On the other hand, if you think you're the owner, you're going to hold on tight to it. You're going to hold it as tightly as you can. You're going to be like that guy with the two gold bars. 
put it in a briefcase, and latch it to my arm. And then number four, if you're the manager, you're going to live your life to please others. If you think you own everything, you're going to live your life just to please yourself. And you will never be happy. You'll never be satisfied. You need to live with this creed. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me to live for others, Lord, so that I might live for thee. Guys, here's the test in the spiritual realm. I don't know how much money you made this past week, but let's just say, for my calculation purposes, you earned $500 this past week. That was your paycheck, 500 bucks. So let me ask you, out of that 500 bucks, how much of it belongs to God? You don't have to answer out loud, answer in your mind, how much of it's God's? If you say all 500, ding, 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 <laughs> you're right. If you're a legalistic believer, you say, well, God gives $50 of it. 50 is his. You know what? That's, that's tithing, but that's not true. Because it's just not 50 bucks that's God's. Every bit of it's God's. This goes back to what this lawyer said. Commandment number one is to love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And again, what I said a while ago you can give without loving, but you cannot love and not give. And if you want to be like God, you realize it's all his. So 10% God's, 90 is mine. Wrong, wrong. Everything, everything belongs to God. So here's a bad attitude. What's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. Do, do that to you. Bad attitude. Man, that stinks. Second attitude is almost as bad. I'm just going to keep it. What's mine is mine. I'm going to keep it. Where do we see that? Verses 31 and 32. It says, Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he came and looked, and he passed by on the other side as well. Here's both the priest and the Levite. They were religious. If anybody would have helped this guy, you would have thought these two guys would have helped, right? They were church people. Huh? They understood. They should have helped. But here's the deal. Once a year, they had to go to the temple in Jerusalem and do their week's worth of service. Okay? It's required of them. A lot of priests and Levites lived in Jericho, so they're leaving Jericho, going to Jerusalem for their one week's worth of service. Now, here's what the law said. If you touch anything dead, whether it be a dead animal or a dead person, you become ceremoniously unclean. And you have to go through a purification process that lasts seven days. So I'm figuring these guys are thinking, you know what? That guy looks like he's dead. If I go over there and touch him, I'm going to be unclean for seven days. And that's going to mess up my schedule because I'm not going to be able to go down to the temple and give the Lord my duty and my work. I'm going to have to go through seven days of purification. And you know what? I've got a vacation plan for next week. I'm going fishing. And that would just mess everything up. And so because of that, you know what? They thought it ain't worth it. I'm just going to keep walking down my side of the road. Are y'all with me? 
And so they just left this guy on the other side of the road. You know, I, I know a lot of people like this, don't you? They're so caught up in their own life, their own family, their own legalism, that they can't see beyond the law to help somebody who is in need. It's like a bunch of church people that I've known before who won't even talk to other people if they don't look just right. We don't want their kind in our church. They can just stay out there. They're, they're not like us. They don't talk like us. They don't look like us. They don't act like us. We don't need them around. I know people like that. I know church people like that. Jesus said that grace and love should be above the law. Is there anything worse than a legalistic church member? They're all bound up with their rules. And they're letting people die on the side of the road because those people aren't the kind of people they want to be talking to. Wow. Now, let me say something about these people that I'm trying to describe here. These are the people who go through life doing their own thing and they're really never hurting anybody. But at the same time, they're not helping anybody either. They treat life like a picnic area. When I was a kid and we'd go on vacation, mom would pack our lunch for the day in a little cooler and we'd stop at a roadside park and eat it. Anybody ever do that? Isn't that fun? That's fun, wasn't it? Now, how many of y'all have ever done that? Okay, yeah, yeah. Everybody in the first service had done it. Some of y'all have not experienced that. But it's a lot of fun. There's picnic tables there at the roadside park and you know, mom would kind of lay out a little tablecloth and would have bread and bologna and cheese and mayonnaise and chips and a Coca-Cola that was cold and, and would have a great lunch. And my, me and my sister would run around on the grass under the trees and our dog Pootie was with us and he'd run around with us. And then when it was all over with, we'd, we'd pick up everything, all the trash, we'd have to pick it up. Dad would say, throw it in the trash can and, and would throw it in the trash can. I know a lot of people who are like that. They clean up and they say, see, I didn't mess anything up. I left it just like I found it. And that's the way they live life. The, the problem is they've not contributed anything to keep the place going for the next person. Now, if I just lost you, let me say this. Everything we enjoy today, everything that you enjoy today is either a benefit from God or a blessing from somebody else. I don't care what they say, ain't nothing free. Somebody's providing it. Either God or somebody else. And the attitude of what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it is wrong, because you can't keep it. Everything has to be passed on. I'm not only responsible for what the Lord has given to me, but I'm responsible for you as well. And I am responsible for the next generation. I tell you what I want to be. I want to be like that grandpa who was planting fruit trees in his backyard. His grandson was old enough to realize what was happening, and he said to his grandpa, Grandpa, why are you doing that? You're not going to live long enough to eat the fruit. And I love what the grandpa said. Son, this world doesn't stop when I die. And it doesn't. So do you realize 
All that stuff that God has given to you, you need to be willing to just let it go to somebody else. You, you need to take your hands off of it. Let it flow through you to somebody else. You know, this attitude of what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it is, is a bad attitude because you don't get to keep it. Now, how, do, how does that apply to where we are right now with, with it's our turn? I made this observation first service and it's not in my notes, and I probably shouldn't even be saying stuff that's not in my notes, right? You've told me that before, but I just thought of this first service, and now I'm just going to share it with you right now. Here we are. Here we are building this new building in the middle of a pandemic, which is kind of crazy in and of itself, right? And here I am as the leader of the church leading us into doing this. And, and the reality is this. I'm, I'm pretty old. I know I don't look it, but I really am. I'm about to turn 60 years old. Now, I don't know how much longer I'm going to get to be your pastor. That's, that's all up to God. I, I hope I can do it a few more years. Really, I do. I hope, I hope God gives me enough mental stability <laughs> to be able to preach for a few more years. But Gary, the end's in sight, dude. I'm on, I'm on the backside of the hill, dude. I'm going down, man. Why, why in the world... Would I be doing something as crazy as this when I ought to be thinking about retirement? Why not in these last few years, whether I've got eight, ten years, whatever it is, why don't I just slide on through, man? That would be the smart thing to do is just coast it on through retirement. Why in the world would I lead us into this $5 million building to add that much more stress into my life. And you know what? If, if we do build this thing and God fills it up, we're going to double the attendance. Why would I want all that much more stress in my life at the end of my ministry when physically I'm less able to deal with it? That's crazy, man. Here's something even crazier. My daddy told me, right here he is, years ago. He said, Sean, Sean. He said, I, I really wasn't able to build a good retirement until your kids left the house. <laughs> so that's, that's when your mom and I was really able to save for retirement, when we got y'all out of the house. Well, here's the thing about it. I mean, they were kids when they got married. I mean, I was out of the house when he was like 42, 43 years old. <laughs> and I got to thinking about that one day. Angie and I waited way too long to have kids. Because here I am, 59, I'm still, I'm still paying for my kids, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't see the end in sight real quick. Do you, Angie? Where I'm going with this is this. I would never ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do. And I'm about to ask you to dig a little deeper, and to give beyond your tithe for three years so that we can pay for this building. Now, if I was smart, I would have not done any of this, and I would have taken what money I can after I get rid of my kids and save it for my retirement. My retirement's going in that building over there. And you say, well, Will, why? Why would you do that? Because let me tell you, it ain't about me. It's not about me. It is about you. And it is about the people who come after us. 
I'm thankful for that guy right there, Brother Shipley. 1962, he had a vision to build a church. I don't think he envisioned what we are today or what we are going to become, but I'm thankful he was willing to give and do. And I want to be that kind of guy. Thank you, Lord, for letting me manage it, but you know what? I'm not going to keep it. Let me just pass it on so that you can use it for something much bigger. Jason, I'm excited about preaching on that new stage over there. Sometimes when nobody's here and they shut down, I'll go over there and I'll, I'll get on that new stage and I'll, I'll do some preaching over there in that building. The acoustics are awesome right now and they're even going to get better. But I'm digging that, man. It's a long stage and I'm running around on that stage and acting like I'm preaching. You know, reality is I don't even know if I'm going to be able to break that new stage in before I pass it off to somebody else. But I'm not building that stage for me or for my ministry. I'm building it for the next guy. Are you with me? So when you give, it, you're giving it for the next generation. You're giving it for the next people. You're giving it for your kids and your grandkids. So get over the attitude, what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep what you need to have is this third attitude. What's mine is yours, and I'm going to give it. Let's look at the story beginning in verse 33. But a certain Samaritan. Okay, again, I know that I'm... Am I preaching too long? Okay, two of you said no. Thank you. I love you all so much. Let me, just, let me explain this because it's pretty good. Who's Jesus talking to? Remember? A lawyer. A lawyer. Now, the lawyer knows that in Jewish society, there are three levels or three groups of people. There are priests, there are Levites, and then there are the layman, the Jewish layman. He's already heard in this story that the priests pass by on the other side, that the Levite passed by on the other side. So in his thinking, he's thinking, okay, the superhero in this story is going to be a layman. Woo! Give it up for the layman. Woo! The pew man. Woo! He was shocked when Jesus made the hero a what? A Samaritan. Have I told you that the Jews hated the Samaritans? They couldn't stand them. And some theologians believe that this story came out of an event that had just occurred when some Samaritans took human bones out of a grave and they distributed them on the temple courts and they defiled the house of God. The Jews hated Samaritans, but Jesus is using one here. A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, this is mind-boggling to me, because why? The Jews hated the Samaritans. Here is a Jew laying on the side of the road. Now, I would think that Samaritan would walk over to him, and instead of helping him and pouring on oil and wine on his wounds, I would think that he had... Spit on him. Maybe kick him. Say, you're getting what you deserve, dude. Oh, that's what we do. <laughs> he went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine on the wounds, set him on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, whatever more you spend when I come again. I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him 
who fell among the thieves. And the lawyer said, he couldn't even say it. He couldn't say, he couldn't spit it out. He couldn't say Samaritan. He said, oh, just, just that guy that showed mercy. And then what does Jesus say? You, you go and be just like that Samaritan. Now, here's what I want you to notice. All of these people, all three of them, priest, Levite, Samaritan, they all saw the same problem. What was the problem? A man in need. A man who had been beat up and robbed and was half dead. They all saw the same thing. Somebody, in it, you know what they saw? They saw a person who had a need. Guess what? Every day when we walk around town, go to school, go shopping, go to work, we see the same thing. People. We see people half dead. You say, what are you talking about? Well, they're alive, they're breathing, but spiritually they're dead. They're half dead. We all see the same thing. Question is, what is our attitude towards that person? Are we doing anything to help them? Number two, all of them had the same opportunity to give. Now, let, let me say something to those of you in here who say, I don't have anything to give. Can I give you the Greek on that? Baloney. Baloney. If you're in here, raise your hand if you're in here. Come on, everybody raise your hand if you're in here. Okay? Okay? If you're online, watch it. Okay? If you're alive and breathing, you've got something to give. I've seen the poorest people who were some of the greatest givers in life. Why? Because giving has nothing to do with your possessions. It has everything to do with your attitude. And then the third thing that I observe here is all of these people had something else to do. They were all busy. They all had reasons not to help. But you know what? That is no excuse. The guy that should have helped was the one obligated to help, and that was the priest. But he was too busy. Levite, too busy. Well, I'm sure that Samaritan was just as busy, but his attitude helped him overcome his prejudice and help him give up his conveniences. He gave up his time, his donkey, and his money. He's the one who had no reason to do it, but his attitude was different. Are you still with me? Let's land this plane, right? Can we come in for a landing? As we do, I want to make three observations about attitude. Number one, attitude is more important than ability. You say, well, I don't have the ability. Yeah, you do. God is never going to ask you to do something that he does not supply the resources for you to do it. So if God is telling you to give, to do, to use your talents, use your ability, use your treasures, then he's going to give you the ability to do that. You've just got to have the right attitude. Number two, attitude is more important than position. Again, it should have been the priest and the Levite who helped this man. That was their job, but they didn't do it. You know what that tells me? You don't need a title or a position to help people. It's all in your attitude. And then number three, attitude is more important than timing. But both the priest and the Levite had a much better jump on time. When they came to this guy, he was only half dead. By the time the Samaritan got there, he was three-fourths of the way dead. <laughs> yeah. But again, it's all about attitude. So here's the deal. I'm asking you to become an active giver today.
Jesus said to this guy in verse 37, go and do likewise. We're going to leave it right there. Go and do likewise. You become a giver. Do it today. Who, who in your circle of influence needs help? Who can you help? Who can you give to? Whether it's your time, your talents, your treasure, who needs help? Eliminate the excuses because none of them are valid. And then number three, do something. Do something this week. Do something today to help somebody else. Lord, what do you want me to give? That's our attitude. Lord, what do I need to give? What do you want me to give? Because here's the deal. Look at me. If you ask him that, he's going to tell you. Lord, what can I give? I'm going to ask that you stand up and bow your heads and close your eyes. Would you do that as we, as we finish our service today? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Would you just pray that little prayer? Lord, Lord, what can I give? He might say to you, well, why don't you give me your life? That's really what he wants, your life. Jesus died on Calvary's cross to save you of your sins. And if you've never given him your life, would you do that right now? Just admit that you're a sinner. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and come into your life. And if you need help with that, come and see one of our pastors after the service. Nothing would give us more delight than leading you to the Lord and helping you find Jesus. But for the rest of you church people, say, Lord, what do you want me to give? What of my time, my talents, and my treasure can I give to you? What is it you want me to give today? And then just give it because it's your turn to give. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us with that today. Help us to make a, a complete commitment to you. Give us the attitude of Jesus, one who is willing to give his life as a ransom for many. I pray that we would have that same attitude, that same mind that was in Christ, to be a servant to you and to others. Lord, help us to realize all of this stuff, all these things that we have, they're not ours anyway, and we need to be using them for you and your kingdom. Give us the right attitude, Lord, and help us to live life in that regard, for we ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Thanks. Be seated just for a second. Got some good news for you. You ready for good news? Here it is. If you're a guest today in our service, stop by the, uh, the Connect counter. We want to give you a gift. Second thing, if you're a church member, as you walk out, make sure you put your tithe and offering in that black box or you can give online. In our gymnasium right now, uh, we have several tables set up. It's a question and answer time for you to go and ask questions about the new building. Uh, anything you want to ask, we're going to try to answer it. They're also giving tours of the new building as well. So if you'd like a guided tour, just go back there and you can take that guided tour as you eat one of those yummy cookies. Same, same kind of cookie as we had last week. Did y'all have one of those last week? Aren't those great cookies? These are not leftovers, okay? These are fresh cookies just bought at the end of the week. Uh, cookies, Coke, coffee, waters, juice. Have a cookie, ask a question, take a tour. Also, Miss um, Karen Nichols is back there 
in the gym at a certain table. You'll see her there. And she's taking uh, names for our prayer vigil, which is going to be held on April 24th, the Saturday before our big commitment day on April the 25th. We're asking our people to give one hour of their time praying for It's Our Turn in our church. See Miss Karen, she'll sign you up. 6.30 tonight, we're going to have Bible study on Facebook Live, and it's going to be a Bible study with Brother Will, okay? I'm going to give you a little lesson on our key verse, which is out of the book of Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, and also answering some of your questions about It's Our Turn. Uh, The video doesn't last long. It's like 20 minutes, but just give your time at 6.30 tonight. You'll learn some things from that video. 7 o'clock Wednesday, we're going to be back here to worship. Hope you're keeping up with your 21 days of devotions and prayers. Angie and I are doing this every night together. Uh, There are three columns, one week, two weeks, three weeks. We finished week one, all right? Great devotions. Uh, Had prayer for our city, our staff, our praise team, our volunteers, uh, our youth. This next week, I'm excited to start the one for today. Be doing this with us as we pray for It's Our Turn and also for our church. Along with that, I'm wearing my blue band right here. Let me get it down here. If you don't have one of these, we'll give you one. It's, it's our turn with our key verse. It reminds me every day at 1.30 to pray for It's Our Turn. And occasionally, as I'm praying for It's Our Turn, I'll pray for you too. Right? Why? Because I love you. Most of all, God loves you. Be a giver and be like God. Go get a cookie. We'll see you.